Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at iCloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? I know I said that, but I mean it. Amen. Aren't you thankful for our praise team this morning? Amen. Uh, How the Lord uses them to bless us each and every time we gather. Hey, if you're our guest this morning... If you'll notice on the back of the chairs, there's a little pocket. And about every second or third one, there's a little QR code. If you would take a second and help us as we try to minister to you, we don't want to just say, hey, on Sunday morning. And so if you'll take just a second, scan that with your phone. Isn't that the coolest thing? We don't have to get you to raise your hand or make you feel odd and awkward and come pass something to you. You can just pick that up and scan that, if you will, and uh, help us help you if we can, all right? So we can make some connections in this journey called life. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to join me in the New Testament book, uh, Pastoral Epistle called Titus. Titus, all right? Are y'all going to be a little more energetic than the last group? Let me look at you. I can't tell yet. And so y'all always go from, you know, shout and praise, and then you sit down and get serious, and that's good. But at the same time, if you're a guest, uh, what you'll find is I'm not a lectionary style of uh, a preacher. Um, Matter of fact, I want to engage with you, and I hope that you'll engage with me, and you'll answer and interact Um, today's message is about one of our favorite topics, and that is grace. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful for the grace of God. And so Titus, as you find that book, all right, chapter two, uh, we're going to, we're going to find ourselves specifically in a, in a section of text, verses 11 through 15. Okay. Titus chapter two, verses 11 through 15. You know, the first song said that we each have a story to tell, right? And then the second song talked about do it again. God, you, you, you did great things in the past, and I'm expecting you to do you know, great things again in, in, my, in my life. And the last one talked about uh, that, that God is able to do anything, right? And, and we're asking him to do that. Uh, come like the a mighty rushing river and do a great work. And, and I want you to think for just a minute about the mountains that we see around us from time to time, okay? Now, what I mean is, uh, first of all, don't you love the theme that God can move mountains? Anybody likes that theme besides me in here? I love the fact that God can, in fact, move mountains. When I look at life, and I, and I mean life in, as a whole, I see a lot of mountains that need moving. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Uh, I see mountains in society. I see oftentimes mountains in the way that we deal with. It's amazing to me how mean people can be to people. Uh, how violent man is at heart, you know, and how, uh, uh, because the world will tell you that the man is good at heart, but the truth is without God, man is not good. And we do all kind of a measure of evil, violent things to one another. It's like, it's like we we try to get more creative in the ways that we hurt and and steal and kill and, and do things in the world. And so there's a mountain in, in society of bitterness and hatred and anger and division that I wish was moved. Anybody else say you wish that mountain was moved? All right, so there's a mountain that I identify. Uh, there's a, oftentimes the mountain of politics that we won't go there long because half of y'all get mad and ticked off and you'll be fighting before you have lunch today uh, about politics. You ever been in an argument over politics? Raise your hand if that's ever happened for you. All right. Anybody ever been frustrated over politics? Raise your hand. Yeah. And so we, I think we can agree on some common ground that there's a mountain that needs to be moved there. And that mountain is men and women uh, oftentimes go with good aspirations and they go up to places, you know, and when they do, they get lobbied and, 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 and money and, and secret information and, and no term limits. I wish somebody hear what I'm saying. And all of a sudden, you get all kind of corruption in government. Do you know that our government is corrupted? You do know that? All right, so it's no surprise to you. So then you would agree with me that, that, that I see also a mountain of corruption in government that I wish was moved, that God would move that mountain. Okay, and then, and then I think about the mountain of, uh, uh, when I talked a minute ago about how people treat people, the mountain, how that mountain is, but you know, sometimes I see it even within the church. And there's this, there's this people treating people and, and, and a lack of dis- making disciples and obedience to Christ. And so many people like think that they're saved, but there's no fruit. And, and there's this huge mountain that, that I believe needs to be moved in the church, right? You ever see that? Yes, all right. And, 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 and the truth is, um, also, I find this mountain in my own life. And what I mean is I find myself doing things, saying things, acting certain ways. And when I do that, I, I sort of find myself in my quiet time with the Lord saying, you know, I should be a little further down the road than this. 
Anybody else have trouble with that sometimes in your own life? And so truth of the matter is, the greatest mountain that needs to be moved, and we would agree there are a bunch of mountains that need to be moved, is the same mountain in your life that it is in my life, and that is the mountain of my own flesh, okay? So maybe somewhere in your notes as we get started, you would write this statement down, okay? You'd write this statement down. The greatest mountain that needs to be moved in my life is my own flesh, okay? Just write that down right off the bat. And as you write that, add to that this statement. I want to share with you, if I could, the right attitude to have that would be productive both in uh, every area and aspect of life, whether you're a child, whether you're a parent, whether you're single, whether you're married. Here it is. You ready? Here's the attitude that would help all of us if we would wake up with it every morning, and that is, I need to change today. Would you write that somewhere? I, not you, I need, y'all help me, okay, to change and specifically write this word, when? Today. Now, the reason we're writing today is because, well, yesterday's over and we are not promised tomorrow. And what we have is right now, okay? So, I need to change today. Now, I would say to you that we don't wake up with that attitude. Waiting for an amen. All right? And, uh, and so, where I find that attitude produced is when I sit down with the Word of God in prayer and the Lord begins to deal with me as a son. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? The days that I don't do that, I find quickly that uh, the, the nature is he needs to change today or she needs to change today. And I find myself finding the mountains in other people's lives and not thinking so much about the mountain of my own flesh. Can anybody in the house identify with what I'm talking about this morning? Amen. So this morning, I want us to think about those statements. All right, first of all, that, that, that we're the greatest mountain in the way of us being all that Christ died for us to be. Okay, the right attitude to have is I need to change today. But the question is how? How can you and I be changed? And I want to aim to answer that question this morning, okay? Now, this book is called a pastoral epistle. What does that mean? Pastoral because it's written to a pastor. What's the pastor's name? Titus. Who wrote it? The Apostle Paul. There are three in the New Testament, First and Second Timothy and Titus, okay? Now, what we're going to find is instruction from Paul to the pastor and how he's to lead, but also to how we are to be. And so here in chapter 1 and then in chapter 2, I want to talk through some things before we stand to read our specific area of text. that be all right with y'all? I don't want you to stand the whole time because you're looking kind of tired this morning, all right? And so here we go. Uh, in chapter 1, Paul, of course, greets uh, the, the, the Titus, but then he talks about Qualification, if you have your, your Bible, just kind of look through it with me. I'm going to talk through some things. This is our introduction, all right? We're not going to tell a story. We're going to get right involved. So, so you see an instruction from verses 5 through verse number 9. Instructions on, somebody help me. Qualifications for elders. Now, uh, so that you don't misunderstand what that word elder means, it's the same word as bishop. It's the same word as presbytery. It's the same word as pastor, okay? And so these are qualifications for the pastor, right? For the pastor, the leader of the church, the pastor. So these are qualifications. So he talks about what those qualifications should be. Then when you look over in verse 10 and on down through verse 16, you find what is the task that Paul is addressing for the pastors to be facing in the church. Not the only one, but the one he's writing to. And that is, let me just sum it up for you. It is uh, teaching and preaching against false teachers. Those people that would come in with another gospel, those that would come in and teach a different truth, all right? And so uh, they were supposed to be this particular kind of guy so that you could address these specific issues, okay? Then we find beginning in chapter 2, uh, the qualities, not of the leader of the church, the God's man that leads the church, but for the, for the gathering of believers, for the rest of the gathering, okay? Y'all tracking with me? We're going to look at a few of these. Now, remember what I said. We said the right attitude to have today is I need to change today, today. All right, so let's look at what some are the, what, what the healthy church, what the church that, and by the way, church, uh, the word church means called out or the assembly, and so you can't be the church unless you gather. Are you with me? And so God's design for the church is for us to come together and gather, and we have certain offices in the church that God ordained, not man, and so we're gonna find out what does he say about the, the church and what it's supposed to look like. So picking up in chapter two, verse one, he says, speak these things, these are the right teachings. Doctrine is teaching, all right? He says in verse two that older men should be 
Sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith. These are some of the things. You know, sober doesn't just mean not under the influence of alcohol. It means uh, not under the influence of anything except for the Holy Spirit. Okay? So reverent, temperate, meaning that he doesn't get too hot and too cold. He doesn't get too angry and too soft. He's just kind of in the He's steady. Sound in faith, meaning he knows what he believes in such a way as he can defend it. If somebody questions, he can teach if necessary. And he is uh, an example in love. And so he loves people genuinely, this older man, and in Patience. Older men are supposed to be in the church. Patient men. Now, I'm looking around, y'all looking at like, who are the older men? Well, uh, that, I, I can't, there's no determined, definitive age there, but if you're older, then he's talking to you, okay? And to me. So then he talks about, so, so right now we would say that some of the older men in, in here, we would have to all agree that we need to change. There's some things in there that we're, we don't line up on, right? Somebody says, well, uh-uh, I'm always sober. Uh, no, no, no. You, you may not be under the influence of alcohol. You may not be under the influence of, of some particular drug. But sometimes the heavier influence is the inf- you're under the influence of anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, which is more cons- constant and consistent than getting drunk or high because those fade away, right? And so uh, we would say, okay, the older men have some things that need to change. All right, let's talk about the older women. Verse three, so the older women, likewise, that they be reverent. And, and you know, it's funny because like somewhere along the line, you start seeing yourself as the older. When I came here almost 19 years ago, I was always, everybody would always ask me, are you the youth pastor? I'm like, no, I'm not the youth pastor. We're only 27 or 27. I'm like, yeah, no. And now, now I was usually the youngest guy in the room. That's not the case anymore. Something happened. And uh, over these almost 19 years. Uh, so he says now from the older men, he talks to the older women. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior like the, like the older men. Now, but he, he, there's some different things that he deals with with the women because men, men and women are different. How many of y'all know that? I was, shout, I was expecting some shouting from the rooftop, all right? And so we're different. And he says, for the older women there to be reverent in behavior, not slanders, meaning you don't talk bad about other people. Interesting that he would pick that, right? By the Holy Spirit, he said, not slanders. Not given to much wine, okay? Uh, teachers of good things, And then if you'll notice, he's about to say what the teaching is supposed to be about. Y'all ready? Boy, I lost y'all. All All right, we're looking at God's qualifying factors for the older men and the the older women in the church. Okay, here we go. Uh, Verse number three, four rather. Here's the teaching that they admonish or teach the young women. What is the first thing on the list that the older women are supposed to be teaching the young women? All right, how to take care of their kids. No. First, most important ministry for the woman is her husband. So the older women are supposed to teach the younger women how to love their husband, uh, to go on to love their children, to be discreet, uh, chaste, which means not loud and overbearing, uh, homemakers, so there's concern for the home, obedient to their own husbands, and then he tells why the older men should be this, and the younger, um, excuse me, and the older women should be this, so that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So the older man doesn't do it for his wife. The older man doesn't do it for the younger man. The older woman doesn't do it for her husband. She doesn't do it for the younger women. Both do it for the glory of God and that his word would not be discounted. Uh, in other words, if we're living in opposition to that, people can discount the word because they say, well, you're this kind of lady and so the word has no effect on you so it can't have an effect on me or vice versa. Okay, so now he says, likewise, exhort the young men to be, there it is again, sober-minded. How can you be a good servant leader, not a dictator, how can you be a good servant leader if you're under the influence of alcohol or drugs or anger, right? Boy, y'all, this is yes. Okay, everybody together, this is no. And, and this is, will you hurry up? No, I'm kidding, don't do that one. Don't do that one, all right. So younger men are to be sober-minded, again, not controlled by outside things. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing integrity. So the younger men are to know the word of God and to do the yes and yes, Reverent, incorruptible, they can't be bought off, they don't trade uh, their, their faith for uh, some financial benefit, sound and speak, what they talk about is right, they can't be condemned, people can't talk about them. He says so much so uh, that when people would say something negative about you, they'd be ashamed. If they ever said you said something bad, they'd be ashamed to even bring it because it'd be an outright lie because you'd never talk bad about anybody or say anything negative. Now, can we say as the church and the pastor that based on what, Paul has told Titus to teach the church. We all need to change today. Yes, so now, take a deep breath. Everybody together, ready? One, two, three. It's not, it's not, it's not just me. It's not just you. It's every one of us 
needs to change today. Now we can understand we're on level playing field, right? Nobody's better than anybody, and we need to change today. Now the question is, what is going to change us? How can we be changed? So what he's going to tell them next, and I'm going to get you to stand up in just a second. In verses 11 to 15, he's going to say four. Now he said, do these things, right? In other words, this is the Christian behavior in these particular roles in the church. And he says, why? Then in verse 11, he's going to say four. It's the same thing as saying because, okay? Now with that thought in your heart and in your mind, do you feel like you have a little idea about what's going on? Paul to Timothy, I mean, excuse me, Paul to Titus, and what Titus is supposed to teach the church, and now he's going to tell them because why. Okay, will you stand to your feet in honor of reading God's word? And let's read verses 11 through 15 together. Y'all glad to be here? I'm glad to be here. Let's read verse 11 and on down to verse 15. For the grace of God, because, why should we do those things? Because the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared, aren't you glad? And who has it appeared to? All men, everybody. Teaching us, oh, grace can teach? Yes teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Not, not later on, not when I'm looking at a pile of youth and they've had a, a fired up all-in weekend. And, and I'm, not talking, I'm not skipping over y'all and talking to the old folks. I'm talking to everybody in the room. What he's saying here is in this present age, not, not I'm going to do that when I get older, or not I'm going to do that when I get married, or I'm going to do that when I have a career, He's saying we should do this when? Right in the present age, right where we find ourselves, okay? Verse number 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. Can we say his name? Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. Comma, this is going to describe them, zealous for good works. Speak these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Do you see how verse 15, he went from teaching the what and then the why, and then he went to speaking right directly to Titus as the pastor. Did you see that? Yes? Okay. All right, let's pause for a brief word of prayer. Let's break it down together, okay? Would you bow your head with me? And by the way, let me just say, um, every week I show up and you, people keep coming back and it blows my mind that you keep coming back and it's a testimony that God is who he says he is. And so thank you for being here and continue to invite people and thank you for being gracious and coming in and going out as we continue to grow and expand. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be together, to be together. And God, I pray we'd be strengthened today in the inner man, and in the inner woman, the spirit. Our spirit should be strengthened by your word and by your spirit today. Now, Father, as you have called me and equipped me and gifted me to preach, would you put the gift on display that it would not be about the one clay pot who's received the gift, but that the gift would prove you can use anybody, anywhere and at any time. And Father, I thank you that as you preach through me, also you have the power to preach to me. Because, God, I need this message and every message as much or more than any person in the room who will ever hear it. So would you tune our hearts in today, not to think about our spouse or our children, about our cousin, about our friend, but that we would sit in our chair and it would be like our Father was speaking to us and speaking words of life that apply to us first. Now, Lord, give us humble spirits. Help us to not be distracted. Let us stay in our chair, not get up and down, move all around and constantly distracting unless it's an emergency. And may you be glorified in what you're about to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Now then, let's rewind back to the beginning, and I have got five Roman numerals. Can you believe that? And somebody said, oh, man. Uh, five Roman numerals, and then I have some lists of two and some lists of three and four. It's going to be awesome. You're going to have so many colors before you get down. Some of y'all got your color-coded pencils out. Son, it's about to be game on, all right? So let me give you the title of the message is this. Help and motivation to live differently. That's what verses 11 through 15 are about. The help and the motivation to live different. Wouldn't you agree that the first part of chapter one and chapter two is about living differently? Yes. Okay. Now, here's the main idea of the passage. Now, someone may be saying to themselves, what in the world is the main idea? Well, if you were to take all of those verses and you were to boil them down into one central main thought, that's what the main idea is. In other words, somebody says, man, what'd you, what'd you, what'd you do yesterday? Well, I went and gathered as the people of God, and I learned a main truth from Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 15, and that is, here it is, you ready? The main idea, God's grace continually shapes. Would you write that down? You need to know this, I need to know this, but your coworkers need to know it, your classmates need to know it, your teachers need to know it, uh, your customers, your students, every person God puts you in contact with needs to know that God's grace is not just a one-time experience of salvation, but that God's grace, y'all help me, 
All right, now let's say it like you like you like like believe that and you got a little excitement about that. Are you ready? Can we try it again one more time? All right. We would tell him, hey, the, what I learned is that God's grace continually say it's, it's active. It's like clay on a pot, and, and it is the grace of God that continues to shape us. Now, if God wasn't gracious, if all he had was grace to save, he would discard us and burn us up and send us to the trash heap, right? But, but that's not who he is, and that's not his grace. So let's talk about what it is, all right? Look back with me in verse number 11. Main idea, God's grace continually shapes. Number one, write this down. Jesus Christ is God's amazing grace to everyone. Write that statement down. God's, uh, excuse me, Jesus Christ is God's amazing grace to, and every word of this is important, to everyone, to everyone. Now listen to how Paul said it to Titus. Because certainly Titus was going to face some people who are difficult. You know there's some people who are difficult in the world? Huh? Uh, do you know that there are some people difficult in Florence, Mississippi? Do you know there's some people that are difficult in, in this room? You're looking at one of them. Right here, we can be difficult, can't we? And so Titus needed to be reminded that the grace of God, the reason that he could preach those truths that older women should do this and younger women should do that and older men should do this and younger men should do that and pastors should be this. And, and the reason he could say that was because God had offered grace to every single person, no matter where they've been or what they've done. And so what he said to him, look, it's in, it's in verse number 11. He says, why? Why should we live different? What should be our motivation? Our motivation is that God's grace has appeared to all men, which means, and I write this in my notes, if I was you, even me. Now, you don't write even Terry. You write in your notes, even me, literally, even me. And so, but you could write even Terry because I am a special case, all right? So, uh, Jesus Christ is God's amazing grace to everyone. Now, listen to this. Every person within the sound of my voice who is born again. Now, I can't tell by looking at you. And I tell you every week, all of y'all look so happy and good. And I know that you're not. Like some of you have really hard things going on. And yet we put these smiles on and we wear bright color clothes and do our makeup and hair. And we just look happy. And really, the truth is we're not. And that's okay. It's all right to not be okay, right? But I can't tell who's saved and who isn't by scanning the room. Now, God can. You may not know this, but God, and when he looks on this room. He knows the ones who are saved. And he knows the ones who are not saved stick out like a sore thumb. He's not deceived, he's not confused, he knows, and he's not pleased with any lost soul. Can you believe that? He brought you here today with the hopes, oh wow, that you'd hear the good news of his gospel and you'd come to him by faith and you'd be known by him. That's his desire today. And you'll have an opportunity. I hope that you'll do that before the day is over. And so we say that those of us who are in, those of us who are in the family, those who've been born again, those who have confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior and haven't had our sins forgiven and been given the Holy Spirit of God, those of us who are in his family have all gotten here the same exact way. Now, you said, no, man, we didn't live in the same time. We didn't live in the same place. Uh, you, the way you heard the gospel was different than the way that I heard the gospel. And so I, wanted, I want you to know, we all got here by the same vehicle. You ready? It is the vehicle of God's grace. Not a single person can stand up today and say, well, I'm in because I've been a pretty good dude. Or I'm in because I've preached this many sermons. Or I'm in because I've given this much money. Or I'm in because I have told my whole family about Jesus. None of us can make any claim to being a child of God except by grace. Now, what is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Write that somewhere. Unmerited, meaning it's not deserved. There's no merit that earned God's love, God's forgiveness, God's salvation. It's unmerited favor, okay? Uh, somebody said it this way, grace is getting what you don't deserve, okay? And, and so I, I know you probably get sick of hearing me quote Mark Twain, but it's one of my, I don't quote a lot of people, but it's one of my favorite quotes when he said, if getting into heaven was based on merit, like how good you could be, your dog would get in and you would not. Now, truthfully, who loves you unconditionally on this life? Your dog, notice I didn't say your cat. Your dog, and don't be mad at me about that. I know I got some cat lovers in the room, but they're just different, all right? So, so we know that we are here, we are in the family by grace, which means we then can take this good news to every single person we ever meet. No matter if they've committed murder, 
No matter if they're divorced, no matter if they are uh, uh, stuck in the bind and chains of, dr- of drunkenness or, or, or addiction to, to drugs or whatever their situation may be, we can take this good news to our classmates, to our teammates, to our coworkers, to people, no matter where they've been, where and we can say with absolute authority that God has enough grace for them to be saved. Isn't that good news? And so I wonder sometimes what it is that keeps us from talking about the good news so often. So I want you to think about that as we move on. So Jesus Christ is God's amazing grace to, y'all help me, everyone. So because of that, I should live different. I should live different. Number two. Number two. We said there are five, and so we're tracking along. I know some of you are thinking, well, we're going to be here forever. Just hang on. All right? I'll watch your faces. When I feel like you can listen faster, I'll talk faster, okay? All right? That a deal? Some of y'all are like, how do I look like that? Show me how and I'll do it, right? <laughs> Number two, write this down. Grace teaches us that we are different. Grace teaches us that we are, in fact, different. Oh, I hope you get this. I hope you get this this morning. Let's see what Paul said to Titus in verse number 12. All the things leading up, all right, all the things that we should be in the Christian life, he says now in verse number 11, and the reason why we should is because God has graciously offered salvation. Saving grace is for everybody. Verse number 12, this saving grace teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and somebody help me, godly. Okay, and let's talk about those for just a minute. Grace teaches us that we are, in fact, different. Now, what that means is two things I want to talk about. Number one, we should, because of God's grace and Jesus' death in our place and the salvation we have because of him, we should run from some things, number one, and we should run to some things, number two. Number one, what should we run from? Well, he tells us. We should run from ungodliness. Now, the word he uses here is the word denying, denying. Can you think of a time in your life when you have to deny someone? Do you, let me ask you this. Do you ever have to deny anybody anything? I was thinking today about, this morning, about denying. You know, times when you have to say no. Um, I don't, I've never really met anybody that just loves to say no. Am I, am I right there? Yeah, especially as a parent. But there are times when you have to say no. And kids, they always just, whenever you say no, they just say, okay, mom, dad, and they run with it, don't they? It's amazing to me how they do that. Oh, yours don't do that. I didn't do that. Mine didn't do that. And so oftentimes when you say no, when they're little, they have desire, and they've not learned yet that, that mom and dad have experienced a little more and have a little more wisdom, and there are things that, that can harm them. And, and so no is seen as a mean term, right? But what he's saying here is then, for the believer, here's the picture, uh, that I'm supposed to, by the power of God's Spirit, say no to my flesh in this life, ungodliness, things that are unlike God, okay? Now, I still have the nature of Adam. How many of you still have the nature of Adam living in you? Raise your hand up high. And so look around the room, if you will. Maybe you're here today, and somewhere along the line, somebody told you, if you'll just pray this prayer, you'll be perfect, you'll never sin, things will be great, and they, in fact, lied to you. You can't prove that in the Scripture, as a matter of fact. Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7, the fact that we have a flesh nature and a, and a new nature in Christ and the Spirit, and they war against each other. And sometimes the things we know we're supposed to do, we don't do. You all with me? And the things we want to do, we don't, we don't do. And then we find ourselves the things we know we shouldn't and we hate doing, we do them. And man, we just end up at the end of it, like he did in the end of chapter 7, say, who's going to save this wretched man that I am? And he said, thanks be to Jesus Christ, our Lord, who gives us the victory, right? To God who gives us the victory in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So I want you to think for just a minute about what he's saying. In my life, I'm supposed to tell that flesh nature by the power of God, no. Now, would you agree with me that in moments when the flesh is rising up, the flesh doesn't take no for an answer very easily? Huh? Let's just put yourself in a scenario. You pull up to Walmart and you have had a long day, your feet are hurting, and so you want to park. Somebody help me? Close. And you wait, you make laps, and you wait, and you make laps, and there's no close spots. And finally you see one, uh, you see the blessed hope of a reverse light. Huh? And so you ease over that way, and you wait on it. So they're about to back out, praise the Lord. And then they put it back in park, and you realize they were just getting there, and boy, you really get frustrated, Right? So you make another lap. You see another blessed hope of reverse light. You make your way over and you wait. And then somebody comes from the other direction and gets in your spot. They're not even going the right way. They wiggle that little Prius in there. 
and you're thinking to yourself that your engine weighs more than their vehicle, and some ungodly thoughts come your way, but you have to tell your flesh, no. When your flesh says, just hit the gas and ram them. Well, maybe yours doesn't say that. <laughs> My flesh is a little more wicked than some of y'all's. So we have to tell our flesh, no. Or when the passion rises up uh, to get back on the alcohol and, man, you think about stopping by that place and just having one drink, who'll know? You know, you can hide it from your husband, your wife, your, your best friend, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your mom, your dad, and you just said, I just, I just want to get, and, the, and the, listen, the pain of want to is a real deal, isn't it? It hurts, man, and the, the pleasure and wanting to have it for just a minute is a painful thing. And oftentimes, we don't even consider just saying no like we do to our children when they're little. But what a, what a wonderful exercise if you and I would begin to say, Holy Spirit of God, help me in those moments to in my head envision my little immature flesh nature wanting something that hurts me, that your spirit would help me look at my little, little boy Terry and say, no, we're not doing that. It dishonors God. We're not going that way. And wow, what a work of grace. Amen. Grace, it works. It teaches us that we reject, we run from those things. The old lust, the things that the world offers. We don't fashion our lives after uh, what we want to have in this life that's going to burn up in fire. We fashion our lives after who we want people to know. Let me say that again. We don't fashion our lives after, after what we want to have in this life. We should fashion our lives after who we want our family and friends to know. And it should be, if you haven't already figured this out, it should be that we would want them to know Jesus. The only one who can bring peace in the midst of all the chaos down here. The only one who can bring an unconditional full pardon that can make an enemy of God a child of God. Jesus, you ought to want your children to know him, your friends to know him, your parents to know him. Your spouse to know him, your boyfriend to know him, your girlfriend to know him. You ought to want him to know him. Okay, moving on. We should reject ungodliness and worldly lust. So that's a running from. And I believe that the church has done a fairly good job of hammering this one home. What I mean is, as I was going to church growing up, I felt like every time I heard a sermon, it was about don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And whatever chair I've sat, I felt like I was getting beat down and beat down and beat down. Don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. And I'd come to the altar and cry about doing that. And then I'd leave out saying, okay, Terry, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And then Tuesday would come and I'd do it. And I'd say, wow, I must not, you know, you start wondering if you're saved. And you, 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 you never understand that what the, what you, what's happening there is somebody's trying to help you live by the law, and you can't live by the law to kill you. And so what, what he's saying here is, is that what, what, what we've done a good job of telling what we don't do. We don't do this. We don't do this. We're against this. We're against that. But we fail oftentimes to say what we should be running to. Because you see, it's easier for me, and I believe it is for you, that if I know what I'm running to, it's easier for me to run away from the things that, that, that allure my sight. If I know that I'm supposed to be running to a certain somebody, a certain place, a certain thing, then it's easy for me to focus on what I should do and what I should become and focus on that. And then I don't have time to fool around with the things that I, oh, you get the picture. Uh, let's see what he says here, if you will. Put your eyes back on what we should run to in the second part of verse 12. He said, we should live, so we run from ungodliness and worldliness, but we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. So I should run to a sober life, a righteous life, and a godly life. Now, let's talk again about soberly. Because when we hear that word, we automatically think, y'all help me, alcohol. For whatever reason, number one, we think alcohol. Then right behind that, we think drugs, right? And so anybody who's under, uh, on drugs and alcohol have done, uh, under the influence, we call it that, have done some stupid things. You say, how do you know about that, preacher? Because I'm talking about myself. Now, here's a survey of the room. I like to do this from time to time. How many of you in here, by a show of hands, now, by the way, we call this ugly honest. If you're our guest, that, means, that doesn't mean we're ugly mean to you about honesty. We're ugly honest about where we are individually, okay? So here's a moment of ugly honesty. In a group full of people, a room lit up, everybody's looking forward. And the question is, okay, as we're thinking about this, we're asking ourselves the question, have we ever, uh, here's the question. Would you agree with me? If this is your story, raise your hand. The stupidest things you've ever done, you've been under the influence. Raise your hand. Now look around, glance around. Okay. Now those who didn't raise your hand, all right, y'all slip your hand now. Uh, there were probably, looked like about 80% raise your hand and about 20% didn't. The 20% of you that didn't raise your hand forgot that you did some really stupid things when you were under the influence of anger. It was when you were angry that you broke that remote. It was when you were angry that you got out and blew your witness and cussed and 
And so what you did, you waited to think, well, that alcohol and drugs are under the influence. And so I'm not raising my hand. That's not me. But under the influence of unforgiveness, you've done much worse. So now I would ask the question again of the room. How many of you would say that some of the stupidest things you've ever done, the most harmful things you've ever done, have been under the influence? Raise your hand. Now see how our our, our statistics just went up. So that's what he's saying. Does alcohol and drugs fit into this? Yes, but it's not only that. He said, don't be led by emotions and, and substances and, 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 and be led by the Spirit. Have a sober mind, a self-controlled mind. Now, we think about self-control, we say, well, that means I've just got to have enough willpower. Now, that's wrong. harder you try, the harder you'll fall. This speaks of self under the control of the Holy Spirit. Sober-minded. So he says we should be sober-minded. We run to that. How do I do that? I start my day not on Facebook. I start my day not cutting the grass or doing chores. I start my day at the feet of Jesus saying, I need you to sober my mind up so that I'm not operating on the influence of anger, unforgiveness, the world, substances, past hurt. Help me today operate under the influence of your spirit and fed by your word. See the difference? So we run to that. What else? He says soberly, and then he says righteously. That means what God says is right is what my life looks like. What God's, not the world and not what my, my own heart says, but what God says is right. That's what my life looks like. And then he says, uh, and godliness. That, in other words, my life would look like the character and nature of God. Did you know that part of the Christian life is the nature of Christ being reproduced in the life of a believer by the power of the Holy Spirit and instructed and informed by, in obedience to his word? That's what the Christian life is. And by the way, can I just tell you something real quickly? It's a process. Somewhere in your notes you ought to write, the Christian life is a process. When you gave your life to Christ, you didn't become a perfect person in the moment. But you've learned that by now. But some of you are in here and you're struggling with that. And you're wondering why, if you got saved just a little while ago, why you're not living perfect, why you still think wrong and do wrong. And the answer is because it's a process. He's working in us little by little. Glory to glory, all right? So grace teaches us that we are different. We should reject, run from, ungodly, so we're listening. We should run to sober, righteous, godly living, okay? Now, let me make this statement to you. Here it is. You need to hear this because it is an absolute affront to the world, and the world says it doesn't matter, but I'm telling you how we live our lives matters. Write that somewhere so you can read it and go over it again. How we live our lives matters. Here's why. For the believer, we carry his name. Think about that. It means that how we run from certain things and run to certain things is because we represent him to those around us. What I mean by that is by our actions, we present who Jesus is to the world. And sometimes if we're honest, people would look at us and they would say, well, Jesus is, he's greedy. Or they would look at us and they'd say, well, Jesus is a bully. Or Jesus is selfish. We know those things to be a lie, don't we? But oftentimes our lives, mine and yours, they, they look that way. So God help us by grace to change. Number three, we're about, we're a little, hey, this is like the halftime. You ready? Verse number 13, grace teaches us to eagerly await his return. Now write that down. Let's talk about the rapture for just a minute. Any of y'all like to think about the rapture? Not too long ago I had a, you know, sometimes people can be arrogant in their knowledge. Do you know that? I, had, I bumped into somebody like that recently, and they said to me, I don't know why you ever talk about the rapture. The rapture is not in the Bible. I said, you think so? And he said, well, I have my doctorate in this and that and the other. And I said, well, do you know that the word in the book of 1 Thessalonians talks about the fact that we will be caught up? The word caught up in the Greek is the word harpezo. It means to be snatched away, which is where we get the English word rapture. Of course, the word dinosaur is not in the Bible either. Why? Because it's a, it was a word that was created in 1840-ish. And so the word dinosaur, if you trace the word family and the history of the word, it actually goes back to some words like behemoth and Leviathan, the things that are in the Bible, but it's a new word. How in the world would they use a word from 1840 after Christ's dead? What, how would that have been in the scriptures that was written so long ago? Oh, I wish somebody would just listen to what I'm saying this morning. So then... One of these days, listen to what the scripture says in verse number 13. Looking for, so, so he says, remember, this is what we should be, verse 11. Why? Because the grace of God has appeared to all men. It, it, Jesus is God's grace, amazing grace to everybody. But then he says, God's grace teaches us we should run from some things and run to some things. 13, looking for. So grace causes us to look for something. And no, not the blessed hope of the reverse light so we can get a closer parking place. 
but much in the same manner on a bigger scale. The reverse lights, which are the signs of the times that somebody's about to back out and we're about to get that space. The signs of the times from the scripture, the reverse lights are flashing and any day now, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return and take his church home. Now, I want you to read with me what verse 13 says. I want to point out a couple of things that you need to know. Okay, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing. Say that with me. Glorious appearing. All together, glorious appearing of our great God and Savior who? Jesus Christ. Now, he didn't say the return of Christ. He said the glorious appearing. Now, we learn in 1 Thessalonians that Jesus' next glorious appearing, he says he will come back in the clouds. And we who remain, first the dead in Christ, will rise. What does that mean? Their spirit is now with him, and their body is turning back to the dirt, whether it was uh, incinerated or whether it's been there a thousand years, whether it's in one location or scattered over the earth. He's going to bring that body back together and make it fit for heaven. How about that? You're talking about a glorious action. That soul that's been with the Lord all this time, and who knows what the soul looks like? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, but I know this. It'll be reunited with that body. And then he says, and those of us who remain, when that happens, and I can't wait. I hope I'm alive to see those bodies coming up, coming back together, because that is some science fiction kind of stuff that you and I can't imagine. Super cool, right? But then he says, those of us who remain next will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Fastest motion your body can make is a blink. Did you know that? One one-eighth of a second. But the twinkling of an eye is the beginning of that. You know how fast that is? Faster than fast. And he says, after the dead in Christ rise and they are changed and their bodies fit for heaven, he says then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that we who remain shall be changed in an instant. Paul talks about it in a couple of different places. In the twinkling of an eye, we'll be made fit for heaven, meaning this. I will, if that happens when I'm alive, and I hope it does, it could happen any minute, that my body will be changed and fit for heaven, hallelujah, and I'll be ascending to meet him. The scripture says he'll not come down here. It's not the second return of Christ that's coming later. It's the glorious appearing. We're here appearing in the clouds and we'll go to meet him in the air. How about that? Boy, you're talking about a glorious day. And friend, listen, it could happen any day now. Now, here's the question. He said, because of the grace of God and the trials of life and the work of grace, we should have hope in our heart, eagerly waiting for Jesus's return. So here's my question. How many times this week did you get up and go to the window and look outside? I wonder if when it's going to be, if it's going to be today. I wonder how many times we woke up this, this week and when we woke up, we said, man, my back's hurting, my knee's hurting, my wrist is hurting. When, I hope Jesus comes back. Maybe, maybe today. I'll tell you how many for most of us. Not many. Instead, we are. Now, listen, that's not, I'm not condemning. I'm talking about us. Just think about it. We get wrapped up into life, don't we? We got kids, we got work, we got this, we got that. We get to rolling, we're rolling, we're rolling. One day goes by, two weeks go by. Next thing, we're married. Next thing, we have children. Next thing, our children have children. Next thing... And life goes by like a vapor. And he's saying to us that what we ought to do is slow down a little bit and think about today could be the day. So how does that affect me? It affects me that if I'm having difficulty today, and most likely every day has a little difficulty. Come on, somebody. Oh, a little roaring low life. Uh, uh, amen, right? Amen. Every day has some kind of difficulty, right? So I should in those moments be reminded they're temporary. That at any second, in the midst of our temporary trial and difficulty, that Jesus is going to come back in the cloud. And guess what? All the stuff I'm so worried about and you're so worried about and concerned about will not matter anymore. Somebody ought to shout amen. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. It's one of these days, and we ought to be encouraged by it. And we ought to, everywhere in the New Testament, he says we ought to encourage each other by it. What does that mean? When I'm facing hardship and suffering and difficulty, you need to remind me, hey, you know what? Hey, here's something to keep in mind. Today could be the day. Today could be the day. Stay close to him. Today could be the day. All right, let me move on. Grace teaches us to eagerly await his return. Number four. Well, we're getting close to the end, aren't we? And this one has a list of four. You ready? Y'all okay? Y'all need to stretch? Everybody good? Everybody said, yes, I'm hungry. Let's stay in the game. All right, here we go. Roman number four. The greatest gift of grace. We're going to talk about four particular power that grace brings into our life, okay? Through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Number one. This is found in verse 14. Only in verse 14? Yes. We'll make four points from verse number 14. He says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing in verse 13 of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, circle that, for us. That he, why did he give himself for us? That he may redeem us from some of our bad deeds, every lawless deed, and purify. Let's talk for just a minute for about the first part. So number one, the greatest gift of grace, number one, grace redeems us. 
Now, I want you to think about redeeming and what it means to redeem and what he said he gave himself for us. So Jesus came. Have you ever heard of this? He bought me, right? Uh, blood bought. You ever heard that term? Uh, you ever heard purchase possession? Paul said uh, there's going to come a day where the redemption of the purchase possession, he's talking about those who he bought with his blood. Now, I want you to think for a minute about that. He says that we were redeemed. Now, what was paid for us? Jesus' life was paid for us, okay? Now, here's the question for the group. All right, so shake off the cobwebs. I'm about to ask you a very deep question. I need you to answer it, but don't answer it out loud. Answer it on the inside. Here it is. Who was it that Jesus paid off? Now, don't answer it out loud. Answer it on the inside. If there was a redeeming, if there was redemption, something had to be turned in to redeem something else. I always tell you about when I was a kid, we redeemed a foul ball, and what we got for it was a snow cone. There has to be, who did, I, who did, I, who did we take that foul ball to? The concession stand. We gave it a concession stand and paid them off with the ball, and they gave us a snow cone. So who was it that Jesus gave his life to, right, gave his life for, who traded his life so that in return we could receive eternal life? Some people would say it was the Satan. He paid off the devil. He broke the bondage. And then, listen, I understand where you would come up with that because, yes, when we're lost, we are, we're under the power of the wicked one, yes. But who, we have to ask ourselves, who was offended? Whose laws were broken? So if we can determine whose laws were broken, then we can determine who was owed the debt. So my question to the group is, whose laws were broken? Come on, all together, don't whisper it. God's laws were broken. So who then was owed a debt? God was. And who paid that debt? Jesus. Who is? God. So God paid God to be the just and the justifier. The one who is righteous judge, who holds all people accountable, who then in fact gave his son to die for me and you so that he could purchase me from himself so that I could be for all. Oh, I want you to get a picture. You're talking about deep. That's deep stuff, isn't it? And it's good. And you ought to just marvel in the grace of God that doesn't just save, but that it teaches and that it sustains. And, and, and that what we learn here is that God paid for us to himself the only thing he would accept the perfect sacrifice. And it was good enough one time for all time. And it was so good and so righteous and so right that it had the power. He had the power. His sacrifice had the power to save even me. And if he can save even me, look at me. He can save even you. Now, let me say something about him. He's a gentleman. He won't kick the door in. He won't drag you in by your hair. He'll simply make a plea. And he'll plea with you. Come to me. And Jesus said, Come. Come to me. The spirit and the bride say, come. God says, come to me. And yet man, for whatever reason, says, no, nah, I'm okay. And oh, what a terrible thing. So, so the grace of God redeems us. Second thing, I want you to write this in your notes. Uh, write this down, purifying us. Now, let me read this. He says, he says, redeeming us from every lawless deed. And by the way, when we think about lawless deeds, it's everything we've ever done that doesn't line up with God's perfect law. Then he says, purify. You're reading with me in verse 14. And purify for himself his own special people. To purify means to make pure. How many of you here this morning feel pure? Does anybody feel, does anybody feel impure? Anybody feel like there's a little tainted thought or action that's happened in your life that still sort of hangs around with you? And it's so hard for us to realize that the grace of God and the death and resurrection of Jesus applied to the believer makes that person, say it with me, pure. Let me give you a verse if I can, all right? Read this verse with me, Isaiah 1 and 18. Here's what he said. Come now, there it is again. Come, come, come now. Let us reason together. Amazing that God would say, hey, let me talk with you. You talk with me. Let's think this thing through together. Here's what he says. Though your sins are like scarlet, they're deep, they're dark, they shall be as white as snow. Isaiah prophesying about a time after the resurrection of Jesus. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be white like wool. Purified. It's amazing to me that when God looks down at me, he sees a pure person. Man, I, I, I don't hardly wrap my mind around that. Hey, have you thought about that lately? That maybe you feel like a lot less than and you think things wrong and you do things wrong and I do and you do, but in Jesus, he sees us as, talk about grace. Makes me want to live for him. It's the motivation. It's the help. To live for him, all right? And moving on, number three. Look how quick y'all are listening. I told y'all, y'all had that quick listening face, so I had to speed up. Number three, uh, the grace of God redeems us. It purifies us. And number three, it makes us his, and I want you to add this word, special people. Special people. Anybody ever call you special? 
Yeah, I know some of y'all are laughing. I said to my physical therapist about my hand, I said, yeah, I'm special. I'll fall off of anything quickly. And so God, I'm a special case, and God's had to show me special grace. But you know what? All of God's grace is special. And here's why. Let's, let's talk about it for a minute. All right, look with me, if you will. As he said, to make us his own special people, I'll give you a verse in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Listen, I want you to listen to this part in specific. His, y'all reading with me? His own special people. Um, that God would look down at me and you who were not looking for him and would say to us in Jesus that we're his special. Why did he go to the trouble? Why did Jesus leave heaven? Can you imagine like packing your stuff up, moving from the nicest home you ever had that was paid for and, and all the prey, everything that Jesus received in, in the kingdom of heaven and to say, you know what, I'm going to leave this and I'm going to go down there the way they are. That's ridiculous. I mean, you thought about that? What if we said to you, hey, you know what? Pack up, move out of your house and go live in downtown Jackson and, and walk over town to town, never owning a house so that your enemies may have an opportunity to have a better life. You know what you and I do? Say, thank you, but you can keep that plan for yourself. I think I'll stay where I'm at. And he left heaven. And why did he do that? Why did he take on the form of a bond servant? Think about it. He wasn't born in a palace. He didn't have a home. Why did he go to town? Why was he homeless? Why, did, why were people rejecting him? Why, why did he bring the truth when he knew we wouldn't accept it? Why, why would he leave all of that to come down to rescue me and you? And the answer is he wanted us to be his own special people. He wanted a group of people who'd no longer fit in in the world. He, he wanted a group of people who now had a source of peace that couldn't be rocked by this shakable kingdom that they're living in. He wanted a group of people who had an answer for the thirsty soul that is around every corner and in every classroom and on every ball field and in every place and location that you find yourself. He wanted a special people who would, instead of complain about the situation and circumstances of life, would proclaim his praises all the time. He wanted a group of people who would say, I love him and he loves me and he loves you and you can know him. He wanted a special people who say, I won't watch that anymore. I won't listen to that anymore. I won't put that in my body anymore. He wanted a special people who said, my life is no longer my own. I'm living it for the glory of my king. And I want to say to you that those people are few and far between. Somewhere, we, not you, misunderstood that he didn't call us to just pray this prayer and keep on rocking. That's one of the biggest lies the enemy ever used on planet Earth. Hey, just pray this prayer and everything will be right. And just go on, keep on going. But we didn't never, someone never explained to us that what he wanted us to do is to walk away from some things to come to him so that we would be his own special people, different. We wouldn't be the average Joe. We wouldn't be like every other car salesman. We wouldn't be like every dad and mom. We wouldn't be like every other wife or husband. We wouldn't be like every other child at our age. We wouldn't let the excuse be, well, I'm just this or I'm just that. We would say, you know what? I'm his own special people, and therefore I can do special things and live a special life because of his amazing grace. Now, I don't know about you guys, but for me, that says, you know what? I want to live that. I'm not there yet. Anybody else can say that this morning? But I want to say this morning, I'm not beat down by that. I'm called up. I feel like God's saying to me, come on, Terry, let's take another step higher, right? And let's walk this thing out a different way. And today could be a turning point for you and for me. Isn't that good news? That God's not up there saying, I just hope you stay where you are so I can zap you. But instead, he's saying, I love you, and I really want you to experience what it's like to be my own special people. You've missed the abundant life because... We've not lived as a special people. If you'll live as a special people, you'll feel and experience the abundant life. Let me move on if I can. I'm trying to close. I really am. Make us his own special people. And then finally, his own special people are marked by a specific thing. Number four, write this down. The amazing grace of God makes us eager for good works. Now let's talk about different and unique. How many people do you know that when you get around them, they, they're talking about they can't wait for God to give them another opportunity to serve? All they do is talk about, I can't wait, and, and, and boy, we serve well, and we're tired, and we put tables up, chairs up, we did this, we did that, but man, I can't wait for the next opportunity to serve the Lord. How many of you come here coming out of the nursery saying, man, I enjoyed that time, I wish the preacher preached a little longer this morning, because I, I'll tell you a group who did that this morning, the Brent girls, there's about 10 of them, I'm just kidding, there's only three, but they were back there in early service, in the far back room on the right. And I went back there. I was here a little early, and 
I was going to make a joke. And I said, I bet y'all want the preacher to preach long this morning. And most time when I do that, people in the nursery give me a look. I'm not sure it's a gracious look. I'm not sure it's a godly look. But it's a look. Those three girls said, yes, Brother Terry, please preach a little long. Preach a little long. And the other Nanny B, she's nodding her head, you know. And they said, please preach a little long. And I'm laughing my head off. And I look back at them. And those girls are serious. And they said, we love being in here with these kids. Preach a little longer. We get a little more time with them. I said, wow. That's what the scripture's talking about today. Eager for good works. Not complaining about good works. Think about that for just a minute. He wanted a special people who are not like selfish, like those who don't know Christ, but are selfless like Jesus Christ. He wants a people whose birthmark is so evident in their selfless serving that people see something different and want to know what's different about us. A special people who are eager. You know what eager looks like? Well, I can't wait to see what God has for me today. As we wake up in the morning and say, God, I need you to change me through your word and your spirit now. Show me today how I can serve my family, my friends, my coworkers. My... Lord, what do you want me to do today? Who can I pray for? Who can I send a letter to? Who can I buy lunch for? What can I do today to encourage somebody and cheer them on along the way? And yet, again, I want to say that is so few and far between. I only have a few people that I ever have those conversations with. Now, I could tell you how many I have with, man, I'm so tired, and well, we had to sweep, we stayed up late, and he said he wants, he, he wants his people to be a people who are, come on, y'all help me, eager, zealous for good works. Now, I say we're zealous about some things, aren't we? But oftentimes, it's things that are not of any eternal value. May the Lord's Spirit change us today, amen, by his, by his grace. You know what I'm praying this morning? God to do a work of grace in my heart. And I believe if he can do it in my heart, he can do it in your heart. And so I'm going to close with one verse. And this is very interesting because he's going to shift gears here now. And it's still considered in the same part of the text. Verse number 15, number five, this is where we're going to close. Grace allows for shepherding. Write that down. Grace allows for shepherding. Y'all with me still? Can you hang on one more? One more? Hey, don't doze off on me. Some of y'all are checking out. Don't check out on me. Listen, let's finish this thing strong. Listen to what he says, all right? Grace allows for, help me with the word. Shepherding. What in the world does that mean? It means to be shepherded. All right, listen to what he says. Now, notice what he's saying here is what we should be, the pastor, his task, the people of the church. And then he says, why? Because God's grace is for everybody. And it teaches. God's grace shapes us. It continually shaping us. All right. And then he says, grace also allows for shepherding. And he reminds Titus of his task. And that is as the pastor or the under shepherd of God to shepherd the flock. Listen to what he says to him. Y'all reading with me? These are the times it gets a little weird because I happen to be the guy in that office. Uh, but it's in the text, so we don't need to leave it off, right? Come on, somebody nod. At least one person said, okay, good, good. Thank you, Tim, for doing that. All right, look with me verse 15. So what does he say to the pastor? Speak what? I've done that this morning. And as I was studying this week, I said, I'm actually going to do what he told Titus to do thousands of years ago. I'm about to do it this morning. Speak these things. I just spoke them to you. The, 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 listen, what we fail to realize is the power of preaching. It's something supernatural. We think it's just like somebody getting them saying, if you get to hang out with me a little bit away from the pulpit, you'll say, man, you're less than ordinary. What in the world gives? Oh, that's the gift of preaching. Points to God, doesn't point to Terry. And so preaching has the power to transform our lives if it comes from his word. So listen to what he says in verse 15. Speak these things. Now listen, here's where the things get hard. Exhort. Now I love that part. Exhorting is one of my favorite things to do. You know what that is? It's calling people up. It's saying, come on, let's go this way. Here's how we're going to do it. Come on, let's do it together. Come on, this is the way we're heading, right? I love that. How many of you like that? I love that. The second part, not so much. Matter of fact, I hate this part. But he says, Titus as the under shepherd, but, but see, grace is what's going to allow this. Grace is going to allow a, a Titus, a fallen man who is not perfect, to stand on God's behalf and call people up. Sometimes I say, man, how am I going to call people up with as much of a failure as I am? Oh, yeah, it's not about my person. It's about the office and calling of God on my life. So I've got to go be his mouthpiece. That's what he's called and ordained me to do. So it's what he's telling Titus. Even though you've not lived in these things perfect, you've got to go exhort, call them up. And then secondly, y'all see the word with me? And rebuke. Now that one I hate. Because that word literally means to speak correction. And the reason I don't like that one so much is because things can get real interesting in those moments because not very many people are gracious in receiving them in God's design order of a spiritual shepherd 
here on the earth. Instead of knowing what the Bible says and says, this is what the Bible says, therefore I should follow it. They'll say, well, you're not perfect and you're not, you're not, which is absolutely true. Instead of saying, well, this is what the Bible says. And so I'm going to take that gentle rebuke and examine my life with the Holy Spirit and the word and see if there's truth to it. So you see that weird moment we're having right now? That's part of my responsibility to you. Did you know that? And I hate that part, man. Because I mean, you think about it, put yourself in my spot. I'm looking at my own life. And yet God's saying, still, go exhort them, go call them up, but also go rebuke. Do you know that rebuke is an expression of God's love as much as his exhortation? Now, we don't see that, do we? Especially when we're little kids. When we get older, we figure out mom and dad didn't want us to ride without our helmet because we can crack our skull on the ground on the pavement, huh? So let me just read and close right here. So speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all, listen to what he says here. Authority. Now, let me ask you something. Where's the pastor's authority? It's not in Titus. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. God's church, God's designed office, God's instruction. Okay. And then he says in the end of that, listen to this. Very interesting how he closes this section. What does he say? Now, I know what you're thinking. I despise you right now, brother. And there ain't no way you can stop me. And you're exactly right. I can't. That's not the point he's making. The point he's making is attached back with the assignment that God has given him to exhort, call them up, to rebuke, correct them when they're wrong. And don't let the fact that some people are going to hate you for it keep you from doing it. You see the difference? I was reading this week when Paul said to the church, because I now tell you the truth in, in Galatians, you, at one time you loved me so much you would pluck your eyes out for me. He says, now that I tell you the truth, I've become your enemy. And so today, let's think about how grace allows for spiritual authority in our lives, okay? Y'all looking at me crazy. Is that all right? All right, because the Word says so. All right, let's take just a minute and go before the Lord in prayer. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? Now, as you steady yourself for just a minute, listen for the Holy Spirit in your, in your heart, in your mind. What is He saying? What has He said to you this morning, and what are you supposed to do in response? God's grace continually shapes. God's not through with you. Aren't you glad? And God's not through with me. I'm so thankful. His grace shapes us, molds us. It's not just when we are born again, but it's all of our journey. Aren't you glad God's grace is sufficient today? Maybe you've come in here today and you failed. This week's been a bad week and you've really not been a good example of Jesus Christ. Hey, there's grace sufficient for the moment. Aren't you glad? Maybe you're here today and you feel like you're doing pretty good. and You feel like you've done pretty good for a while. And I just want to remind you, it is the grace of God that has brought you where you are. As we consider this morning, what is our response to the grace of God? Getting what we don't deserve. Wouldn't it be a great thing if, if today God motivated us to live a different life because of his grace? Not because of law, but because of his grace. You see, hearing of the grace of God calls me to love him even more. To know that I'm a work in progress to bring myself like a living sacrifice over and over, kicking and screaming to the altar to say, Lord, I need you to shake me a little more. So I'm going to say this, the altar's open. Maybe, maybe there's a, somebody here today just says, you know, Lord, I want you to keep shaping me. Maybe you'd get up and just make your way down to the altar. Matter of fact, can we stand together? I see people trying to get up already. Would you stand to your feet and still in the spirit of prayer? And I want to say the altar's open. Maybe you've never come to the altar before in your whole life. Listen, <clears throat> there's nothing magical about the front of the stage except that it's something very symbolic about leaving your chair and saying, I'm not going to go back the way that I left, all right? So heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and I just want to challenge you to come. Maybe husbands and wives, maybe parents and children, maybe best friends, I don't know. But as the Spirit of God stirs in your life about grace, would you respond? Maybe there's somebody here today who would come and pray for lost souls. Somebody from the way back in the back would get out of your seat and say, I don't care how long it takes me to walk up there, I'm going to walk all the way to the front and pray for lost souls. I'm just going to pray for people to be saved. I'm going to pray for somebody today to understand grace. You can't earn God's favor. It's given freely. People are moving all around the building. Have freedom, just move. There's a lot of aisles for you to get down. There's a lot of altar space. Brian's helping me. Shane and Dawn, would y'all help me as well? We'll have some under the baptistry. Some to my left where the altar's extended under the cross. You can meet them there. They'd love to pray with you. If you have something you need praying for, that's what we're here for.
Father, I pray today in Jesus' name that your people would understand, that I would understand and grasp that the Christian life is a process, that we are saved completely the moment we fully surrender by faith to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection and surrender to him as Lord. But Father, that we would know that it's a process of changing little by little by little. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your patience. So somebody ought to say to him, thank you, God, for your patience today. Thank you for being patient with me. You know, I say this to people all the time. God should have killed me a long time ago. I gave him every reason under the sun not to love me and not to ever use me, and yet here I am. By his grace, here I am. So, Father, would you take this time and move in the hearts of people. Help them to know your amazing grace. It's not just for salvation, but it's for transformation. We love you. Move in our hearts and in our lives. Before I say amen, just know that the altar remains open. You don't have to get up and rush off. Just as you finish praying and talking with the Lord, you can get up. Know this, if at any time the Spirit stirs your heart, you come down. Spend a little time at the altar. Ladies, there's some ladies down front that love to pray with you. Guys, there's some men down front. If God's calling you to salvation, you've invited Jesus to be Lord, come share with us. If God is stirring in your heart to be part of this gathering, come on. If you've never followed through in baptism, but you know for certain there was a time you gave your life to Christ, come, we'd like to help you in your walk, all right? Take those next steps. So, Father, we pray you move now. In Jesus' name, amen.